I just want to give some props. Whoever made the coffee this morning, I'm on my second cup, and I am wired right now. I feel, I feel like I could go do a lot of, get a lot accomplished right now. And usually, you know, caffeine doesn't have that. This, this is some good stuff. So whoever, whoever did it. And, and also, man, thank you. Okay. Great job, Jennifer. Yeah. And, uh, the, the worship, the worship team, you know, every time I come here, I'm, I don't know where they find um, these lady singers that are just so incredible, man. I'm just like, every time there's like a new girl singing, I'm just like, holy cow. So props, props to you guys. And so uh, thank you for having me back. My name is Joey Montoya. Um, I'm a teacher over at Placer High School, and it's always a privilege when I have the opportunity to come and, and share my heart with you. And, and <clears throat> you know, I'm batting a thousand right now because but every time that, that Craig has asked me to come and, and, and to teach here, uh, I dive into the scripture and God just 100% just blows my mind with the things that he, he teaches me as, as I dive into this. And, you know, I have to give a disclaimer because, you know, as a, as a teacher uh, or, or a pastor, you know, it's kind of our job or our duty to, to bring the scriptures to life, to, to make it understandable, to make it relatable to all of us so we could take it and, and apply it to our lives and, and, and to, to take it so it lives with us throughout the week and throughout, throughout our walks. But, but how do you break down something that is just so uncomprehendable? And that is the, com- complex, the complex love of Christ. I mean, how do you take something that is just so incredibly enormous, so incredibly multifaceted, and how do you take that and simplify it when really it's impossible to do? And so I had to give that disclaimer because I, you know, I'm a teacher by trade. I teach physical education. It's a hard knock life, but I, I have to do it. I have not gone to seminary, but I'm going to try to tackle this subject that, that virtually is almost untackable because you can't, you, you can, we're, we're only going to touch on just a little small portion of how vast and how great and how complex the love of Christ is. And with that, we're going to jump right into the scriptures. We're in John chapter 15 verses one through 17, and we're going to start in verse one. And I have it up there for you to follow along with me. If you don't have your Bibles and it says, this: says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one life for one's friend. You are my friends. If you do what I command, 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father will give to you. This is my command. Love each other. Lord Jesus, thank you so much, God, for just your love, God, and just how complex it is, God. And, and as we break down just a, a few different attributes, Lord, of, of, of your love, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in and through me and in the hearts of everyone in here, God. I pray that you would hit um, wherever everyone is today, Lord, in the way that they need to be hit, Lord, and that you would teach us, Lord, as we um, dive into your word, God. Thank you so much, Jesus, for everything you've given us in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. So here we are, essentially right after the, the Last Supper, and, and there's some debate to where it actually took place, if it was just right after the, you know, kind of a run-on from the Last Supper, or or if they were on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, but virtually this is hours before Jesus is going to be arrested, and essentially would go to the cross for for our sins. And, and it's Essentially, it's his last sermon. It's important for the disciples because Jesus right here is equipping his disciples because at this point, a lot of them, without them even knowing, they're going to be tempted to flee. They're going to be tempted to run away. And right here, Jesus is, is pouring into them words to give them strength and the knowledge and the wisdom for them to go out and to bear fruit. And this guy, this great theologian, his name's J.C. Ryle, he, he, he says this, and this is so important when we're not, not just in this scripture in particular, but, but virtually all of God's word, he says this, he, he says this quote about keeping things in context. He says, avoid minor detail to strain the truth. Keep the main idea, the main thing. And virtually what, what that means is, is it, you can, there, there's so many little nuggets in these 17 verses that out of context, you could really do some damage if you're a teacher or if you're a mentor or if you're trying to <clears throat> disciple somebody in, in terms of, of God's wisdom and knowledge. And if you take things out of context, you can really cause destruction. And think about how many times that the word of God has been taken out of con- context and the destruction that it has led to. And, and right here, we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing. And, and essentially, theologians have come down to kind of break down God's love, and they've kind of compartmentalized it into, into two different thoughts. And, and both are true, but we're going to kind of tackle this and see how it's more than meets the eye. And the, and the first way that the theologians have, have seen in terms of relating God's love to us is the, and, and the first one is called, it's called the common grace of love. And essentially that is God has love for everything he has created. He's, he, his love is vast. He gives wisdom to us who, who, you know, he, he's created the heaven and the earth and everything in it. And he loves everything. And it's for the common grace love. The second way that they've related God's love to, to us is called the special saving love. And essentially this is for those of us who believe those of us who are following Christ, that his wisdom is poured into us who are believers that know him and walk with him. And this is called the special spa- uh, saving love. And see, they're both attributes of God's complex love, but they're not the same. And what I've seen just studying these 17 verses that God's love is so much more than just these two things. You see, I, uh, our first kid was born a little over five years ago. And, um, 
I, I, I still remember the night that she was born, the morning that she was born. And it was uh, where the night before my, my wife and I were at a movie and we were watching uh, this movie and my wife was starting to have uh, some contractions. And so I, I'm like, well, do we do the hospital? She's like, I'm fine. We're, you know, I'm just going to we'll sit this one out. We're going to, we'll go home and yada, yada. So we, so we end up going to sleep in the middle of the night. She wakes me up. She's like, okay, we got to go. So we get in the car, we head down to the hospital. We had to go down to Kaiser down here in Roseville and we go in there and they check her out and they're like, well, you're, you're, you're not quite ready yet. Yet. So uh, why don't you come back uh, in a little bit? And so we go home and I, I make the mistake to listen to what she said. And, Cause you got to kind of re- read between the lines sometimes as a husband. And she, we go there. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? She's like, uh, you could just go to sleep. And that was the first mistake I made of the night. I should not have gone to sleep because I could tell that she was in some serious pain. So I, I go on what I do. I go right to bed. I fall asleep. I pass out. This is the second mistake of the night. <clears throat> I, I, I wake up and I'm like, Oh, and I look over and I see her like in some serious pain. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm sorry to laugh at it. I mean, this is, she was like in a lot of pain and I look over there. I'm like, Oh man, that's bad. next thing I know. I, I, I fell back asleep. I should have been a good husband, got up and helped her, but instead I, I fell asleep. And so I'm over two right now. And then so finally she wakes me up and she's like, we need to go now. I'm like, okay. So I get out of bed. We get in the car, we're heading down there and I take out my phone to just look at the time. No joke. And I look at it and all of a sudden I hear in like this voice i've never heard put your phone away i literally dropped my phone i'm like okay i'm gonna make the executive decision to not say a, a word and to not do anything but just like eight or so we we pull into the parking lot and she is just you know that obviously labor is incredible i mean it's, it's an incredible amount of pain obviously for those of you who've done it but anyways we we get in the parking lot and she's she gets out and she is just hunched over and she's walking him. We're on our way in and I'm, and I'm behind her. I'm like, should I, should I help her? Should I say something? I'm just going to play it safe. I'm going to walk behind her. And so I'm walking behind her, like watching my step and no joke. She sits down right in the middle of the parking lot and I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to say a word. And one of the nurses, this guy, he sees her from the like the area that they're in and he gets a wheelchair and he starts coming out and I'm looking, I'm like, no, no, stay like, don't come out here. Trust me. And he gets to us and I just sit there. I'm like, here we go. And she's like, get away from me. <laughs> she like screams at him. I'm like, Hey man, I'm sorry. You know, he's like, Oh my gosh. And he just turns around. So finally we get in there. She walks up and you know, it's go time. We go in and, 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 and you know, <laughs> the labor is happening and I am, I get grossed out like super easy to the point where if I see like a little bit of blood or throw up or like, bones that are broke. I like will pass out. I'm a total pansy, just self-admitted. And so I am at where her face is and I'm just looking at her face, tr- like purposely not looking at anything else that's happening. And there is a nurse in there, this lady that no joke, if her and I would have gotten a fight, I would have gotten my butt kicked. There is just no doubt about it. And she's there and she's like, you need to get, get down there. I'm like, get down where? She's like, you need to see this happen. I'm like, no, I don't. She's like, yes, you do. I'm like, no, I don't. So she forces me to go down and start watching this. And I'm, I thankfully, it was like having this coffee. I have so much adrenaline going. I don't even know what's going on, but I'm witnessing something that is horrifying in my mind. No offense. And I am just going, Oh my goodness, what is going on here? I keep trying to look at her face. She's like, watch her baby be born. And she comes out and Blake is born and she puts her up there and they're like, Oh dad, what do you think? I'm like, well, it's, kind of looks like an alien. I was like, it, 
my honesty is kind of gross looking. And they're like, what are you talking about? I thought that she was going to take me outside at that point. But there wasn't like, you know, you hear these stories and I've talked to some dads. Or, oh, you know, right when I saw my child, it was like this instant love connection. And for me, I'm, don't get me wrong. I love my kids more than anything. But there wasn't like this instant just like, man, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It was the fact it was the opposite. It was more scary than beautiful. And, <clears throat> but then I looked at my, I looked at my wife and she was just 100% right in her sweet spot. First time mom. And there was just this instant connection between the two of them. And I just saw this different level of love that I had ever seen before. And I think when you go through things like that, you see just a small snippet of what God's love is for us. Because, you know, I'm going to talk about some things today that, that, I, that I personally have wrestled with in my own faith in terms of asking tough questions. Because I've always thought this to myself. I've, I've always wrestled with the question of God's wrath. Sounds like a contradiction sometimes when you we're talking about God's love. You know, how can wrath and love go together? And it's only when we realize that the rich biblical love God has for us and the complexity that it starts to make sense. And if you read this, this one Psalm, we, we see kind of all three different things working in itself, the common grace and the saving grace. So look at Psalm 145. We're going to read through this verses 14 through 20. So right here, we're going to see the complexity of God's love right here in just these, these few verses. So verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. Right now, it all sounds great. Right. And this is the, 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 the saving grace, right? The, the, the common grace love, right? So you open your hand and you satisfy, satisfy the desires of every living thing. Okay. Right now it sounds really good. The Lord of the righteous, the Lord is righteous in all ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him to who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears our cry and saves them. So right there, you have the saving grace of God. And then verse 20 he turns it all upside down and we see the complexity of God's love. And he says this in verse 20, the Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. You read all those verses before you're like, Oh yes, God. Okay. You, you love all of, you know, the, the common grace, you, you love us all. And oh, good, great. The saving grace, Lord, you, you love those who follow you and, and work with you and, and you want everyone, but then all of a sudden, but all the wicked will be, you will destroy. And what is that? What is that? We look at Ezekiel thirty three eleven, and I love this verse. I love this scripture because this is God's heart right here. And God says, as he says, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? People of Israel. And right there, God's saying, look, I do not want to condemn you. My heart is not that, but I will. And how is this part of God's complex love? How is this part? How is this an example of God's love? And, and you think about it, John three sixteen, the most famous verse around, right? It's probably arguably the most famous verse in the Bible for, for God to love the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And I love verse 17, right? God didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to save it. But then you get to verse 18. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. God is saying, I am giving you my son, yet I am judging it. And it's here where in our own human ways, in our own 
misunderstanding of God's love and God's mercy. This is where we fall short as people in understanding God's true love for all of everyone. You see, if we say it's just God's common, you know, God's common grace is the only way, you know, we flatten God and we domesticate him. And if we say, you know, hey, it's a special saving love. It's for all those who know him. God's love only can, can fall on those that follow him and love him. We narrow God. And ironically, if you, if you look at the perception of the world, you know, what, what is their perception of the church? It's kind of one of those two things, you know, one, it's, it's a church that, that has a common grace and, you know, God loves everyone and it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter, um, the lives you live, God loves you. And, and, and there is no wrath. There is no uh, accountability. There is no condemnation. And then, or, or it's the opposite. It's the saving grace. Well, God, God is, he only loves a, a select group of people and it's narrow minded. But God is showing us right here that it's so much bigger than that, that we have a hard time understanding this. And I think about it because we see it in our own lives. We don't realize that we see God's love in different ways in our own life. But, but I think back to, to one of my old best friends. We did everything together. In fact, I lived with him in high school. And the end of our senior year, we got in a car wreck. And uh, we, we hurt, you know, we got hurt in a car wreck. Somebody hit us. And we go to the doctor's office. And I had already seen one of my other friends struggle with being prescribed pain medication. And so I already had my guards up for it. And so we're in here in the doctor. And, and, and honestly, no joke, it was minor injuries. It was like we were not hurt. Okay, we just went and double-checked, both of us. And the doctor's standing there, and he goes, you know, I'm going to prescribe you 100 Vicodin. I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, uh, I don't need Vicodin. I, I mean, I don't even know if I need Motrin. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. But my friend took these pills, and his life has never been the same since. And it's been year after year, struggle after struggle of addiction. And I remember I was in my room one night, and I got a phone call from his mom. And she was crying and she said, look, so-and-so just got in a car wreck. He's going to get a DUI, not from alcohol, but from being on pen medication. Can you go to the hospital and, and, and pick him up? And I remember the first thought in my mind was anger. I was frustrated. I wasn't frustrated at, at him as a person. I wasn't frustrated at, at, the, at the man God had created with me, but I was frustrated with the sin in his life. I was frustrated with the destruction that these, pen, that these pain pills was, was bringing to his life. You know, and if I shared that with somebody that didn't know him, you know, the, their first thought would be just, you know, what a shame. Right? If you don't know the person, your first thought is which, because you don't have that connection with them. You don't have that relationship with them. But when it's somebody you love, when it's somebody you call your brother, you get frustrated with that. You get angry in not a negative way, in the right way. And that is a, a, a small fr- a fraction of an example of God's wrath for us, for those of us who don't walk in his ways. It frustrates God. He wants us to turn from our waves. And in this complexity, Jesus reveals to us how his love is working in our lives as he talks with his disciples. As we look in verse one, he says this, he says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. And I remember when I was in college, and for those of you who have kids that are going to college, you know, this is a time, this is like one of the, I think it's the most important time to walk with your kids in their faith walk is when they're in college. Because high school, junior high, yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity. You can, when they struggle, it's good because they're under your roof and you can walk with them. But when you're in college, it's a different level because you're, you're on your own as a kid, as a person, right? You're a quote unquote young man at that point. And I remember I was in a history class and our professors, 
stood there and said and stated as a matter of fact that Jesus never said he was the son of God. She stated as a matter of fact that Jesus was just a good man who did a lot of great things and was a good teacher, but he never said he was the son of God. And right here in verse one of chapter 15, for the seventh time, Jesus has made the proclamation that he is the I am. Whenever that is stated in the Bible, that is a proclamation that he is the son of God. And this was the seventh time. The first time he says this, he says, I am the bread of life. The second time, I am the light of the world. The third time, I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And right here for the seventh and the final time, he says this, I am the true vine. Why does that matter? What, what, what is the true vine? What, what is that in terms of context to, to the disciples? And if you look at Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, we see, and we're going to look in verse 7 right here, because God previously referred to the vine as his people in Israel. And it says this, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So here was this perfect thing that God had created for all of his people. And he referred to them as the vine. But what happened is they were human beings and they constantly fell short and they constantly came up making mistakes. And so Jesus is saying to them, them right now, X amount of years later, look, you were the vine and you fell short, but now the real vine is here. As we continue in verse two, he says this, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken. You remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So right before this, at the last supper, Jesus had already said to them, look, I'm sending you a helper, the Holy spirit that's going to work in and through you. And some of the things that the Holy Spirit are going to do sometimes aren't going to be the most pleasant thing. I remember my first five years at Placer High School. It was a, it was a challenging time for me. I, I was very blessed uh, in our in my career before that. I had had all the years I had coached before that. We basically had won the championship virtually almost every year. The first four years as a head coach, we had won the championship, and things had kind of come easy at that point, so to speak. I mean, we worked very hard for it, but things had come easy. And so coming into Placer, you know, we I, I felt very good about myself that we were going to be able to turn the the thing, you know, the ship around, and we were going to get the thing going in the positive direction. And we did, and we had a lot of success those first five years, but but we could never get over that first hurdle of winning a league championship. And through that process, through that five years, God was just pruning me. God was just taking things out of my life, out of my character that just weren't producing fruit. And I look back on those five years and I am so grateful for it. I'm so grateful for that time. I, I, I grew more in those five years probably that I ever had in my entire life. And it's because God was taking the things out of my character. He's saying, look, is it about winning football games or is it about me? Is it about pouring into kids' life and producing fruit or is it about football? Where is your identity placed in? And God was just working in and through my life as I was being pruned. Because God loved in our life, guys, it's a process it's an, op- it's an operation. As God's Holy Spirit works in and through us, it's going to cause discomfort. Pruning is not painless. And I found that out in those first five years. And the problem is, is you know, we as, as a people, we process things through the lens of this world instead of through God's word. Because what does the world tell us? And honestly, this is, I, I want this too. 
I want to be comfortable. I don't want to go through pain. I don't want to have to struggle. I love going home and kicking back and having no, you know, life is good, right? You know, being, can't we all just be on vacation 24 seven, right? I mean, that's kind of what the, the, the world tells us. You, you know, you build a life of comfort. You know, things, things shouldn't be hard. Things shouldn't be tough. But the Holy Spirit is constantly at work in us, pruning us. And like I said, pruning can be tough. Pruning is not painless. You see, we need to have the, the, the view that it says in Romans 12, 2, where it says the transforming of your mind, the renewing of your spirit. Be con- don't be conformed to this world. Don't look at things through, through the lens and through the eyes of the world, but instead be transformed. Let God work in and through you. Allow yourself to be pruned. When you're going through a time of pruning, look at it for what it is. Because in the midst of it, it's really hard to see. In the, in the midst of those storms and those trials, it's really difficult to just say, you know what? Yeah, God's at work in me. It's, it's hard to trust God in those times. But if you stay the course, you're going to be able to look back and say, you know what? I'm so thankful for that. Because there's always going to be something flawed in our understanding of Christ in this side of heaven. There's always going to be something flawed in our habits. There's always going to be something flawed in our thoughts and our actions that keep us from producing fruit. And the interesting thing about the analogy of the vine and the branches, you know, when, when, when people prune a van, a brand, you know, this particular, um, <clears throat> this particular vine, the branches are utterly worthless. They're not strong enough to build. The only thing that they're useful for is burning. It's for firewood. And I think about the things that God has pruned in my life. And 100%, none of those things led to anything. They were fruitless. Allow God to work in your life and trust it as you're going through it. The other part of God's love that connected with me in this is that God's love is deeply, deeply intimate. I tell you what, sometimes, uh, sometimes in my life, I, you know, I really admire my wife's love because she, she just 100% believes in God's sovereignty. She 100% and, and, and she's like, well, well, I don't even have to ask for it. God's in charge. And I'm like, well, cause, cause there needs to be connection. There needs to be a relationship. So I, you know, there's so, it needs to be somewhere in between. And I wish I had that kind of faith where I just, you know, God's sovereignty is God's in control, like no matter what, but also that I had the intimacy that I've had with, with, with God, where I'm, where I'm constantly praying without ceasing. And it says right here, it says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. It's in such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And Jesus right here is constantly saying, remain in me or abide in me. How do you remain in him? How do you abide in him? By constantly being in prayer by constantly talking to God about whatever it is. And the thing I love about God is, is it really doesn't matter. Cause I look at the stages of my walk, the stages of my time with him and my prayer life is, is, is really, it's still transforming. And I, and I think back and I'm going to look back five years and look at my prayers of, of today. And I'm, and I'm going to think to myself, man, they were, they were so immature because I think about my, my, my prayers with God and, and a lot of them were for my glory. A lot of my prayers had to do more with, with me instead of really being in alignment with what God's will was. 
Because out of context, if you take this, ask whatever you, you wish and it will be given to you. If you take that out of context, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble because when your prayers are self-centered, when your prayers are about your glory and you're asking for things and all of a sudden you're not seeing your prayers being answered, you look at the scripture and you're like, well, the scripture's a lie. Scripture's not true. Those things aren't right. But it's when you continue to seek God, when you continue to build your intimacy with him, when all of a sudden he transforms you through the power of the Holy Spirit, as he prunes you, as he works in and through your life, all of a sudden your prayers shift for God's glory. All of a sudden your will gets in alignment with his will. And then all of a sudden you're praying things that are exactly what God wants. And then all of a sudden you start seeing your prayers being answered left and right because you are in alignment with God's glory and what God wants. Context, context, context. It's so important to keep that in mind that when we pray, it needs to be for his glory. And I, th- and, it, and I'm just going to be honest as, as I look about that and, and, and I was kind of wrestling through this. And I'm like, well, you know, God's glory. Isn't, isn't that a little egotistical? You know, isn't God a little narcissistic at times? I mean, can it sound like that? I mean, I, maybe I'm the only one that thinks that, but I, I was kind of wrestling with that through God, with God, but God, you're kind of, you're God. So you're allowed to say that. So number one, you're allowed to say that, but as a human, I'm just telling you, it, it looks a little egotistical, but what God has revealed to me through his word is that his glory is for my good. When I'm in his glory, when I'm connected with him, when I'm in an intimate relationship with him where he is being glorified is when I am the most filled, when I am the most happy, when things in life are as it should be, regardless of the pain and the suffering and his glory is truly for my good. And why is, why is his glory so important? We, we take a look at this and we, it, it, he answers it in verses 9 through 11. It says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just, if I, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You see, we are designed. We are wired. We are created to be in God's, to be obedient to God, that for our life to fully, for us to fully receive God's joy, we need to be in alignment with his joy, with his, be obedient to him. And I think about the the role of a good father. Like if my daughters are saying, Hey, you know, I'm hungry. And I'm like, yeah, go eat whatever you want. You know, just go, sure. It doesn't matter. Just, just go to town. Uh, it's traffic. You know, just go out playing the street, right? This is all full of stuff, right? Uh, you knives, uh, you guys are five and three. Just start throwing it. You know, it's no big deal. You guys can do whatever. I mean, obviously that's, that's like a radical example, but, but I would not be a good father if I was just letting my kids do whatever they want. You know, yeah, it was giving them temporary gratification. Maybe it was temporary happiness, temporary joy, but it wasn't real. It wasn't true happiness. It wasn't true. It wasn't truly satisfying. My role as a dad is to make, is to, is to teach them things, is to show them how to, to make good decisions, how, how, how to really find what real happiness is. And that's what God is doing as he proves us, as he works in our life, as he, as he changes us. He's being, it's, 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 he's being a good father. And I love in verse 12, because in verse 12, he, he, he really, gives us the command. He tells us, he gives us instruction 
on what we are supposed to do. And it says this in verse 12, he says, my command is this love each other as I have loved you. And what does that mean? Like how, how, okay. If, if God's love is so multifaceted, if God's love is so broad that, that we as human beings can't even fathom and can't even understand it, how are we supposed to, how are we supposed to live that out? How are we supposed to love as love others as God has loved us? And I think about, there's two examples that I want to share with you. And these are, like I said, all all my examples are really (laughs) lame to really in, in terms of trying to, display the beauty and the magnitude of God's love. It's just God's honest truth. But I think about my, first of all, my wife. So the first day I shared the story last time I was here, it took me a while to convince my wife that I was cool and a really long time. And so eventually when we got to go on our first date, I mean, I was just so excited, right? I mean, I was just, I was stoked. And, you know, I think about it. And if I was really to look at that, that, that first stage of our quote unquote love, it was really more egotistical. It was really more for, for me, right? It's like, she likes me, you know what? It wasn't so much about her. It was more like what I was getting from it. Right. And a lot of our relationships start that way. It's, it's about us. It's what we're getting. And as I've grown as a husband, you know, I've started to see, well, you know, I need to serve her. I, I, I need to, you know, I need to have some actions that, that pour into her life. And so I hate doing the dishes, but I'm going to do it all the time because it makes her happy. And, you know, I'm not really getting any joy from it, but I, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to do these things because this, this is for her. And time and time again, we fall short. I, you know, I fall short in truly loving my wife the way that God loves us. And I think it's when you're a parent, when you really just for the first time catch a little glimpse of what God's love is truly like. Just a small, minute thing when you see that. Because think about it. When your child's first born, they're helpless, right? They, they, they can give nothing back to you, right? In fact, all they do is cry and go to the bathroom and need to be fed. And without you, they're going to die. And so you have to instantly serve them. You instantly have to take care of them. You have, you are called to duty. You don't have a choice. Your kid's going to survive. You need to get into action, right? And as, as they grow and as, and as things happen, you know, you fast forward 15 years down the line and you've been married for 15 years, right? And all of a sudden your kid decides to take a turn for the worse. All of a sudden your child decides to start making really poor decisions, things that hurt you, things that upset you, things that you know are not good for their lives. But after, you know, X amount of years later, no matter what, no matter what, you're still going to go to the mattress for your kids. You're still, you're going to be right there because it's your, it's your kid. You, there's just that connection to your child that you, you can't even describe. And sometimes maybe that, that love is, is, is holding them accountable or whatever it is, but you're still there. But you look at the example of, of a, a marriage, right? 15 years into it, and all of a sudden uh, I start treating my wife poorly. And then she takes that, well, I'm going to treat him poorly. And then five years later, after 20 years, you look back and you go, you know what? There's just no more love. It's just not here. You see, I think us, when you have a child for that first time, you see just a small example of how great and big God's love is. And this is what he's calling for us to do, to love others in this way. And it's a profound thing because it incorporates heart and will to do something like this. And ironically, if you look at God, I mean, think about God in the beginning of creation. You had the father, son, and the Holy spirit in perfect unity and perfect love and perfect relationship. 
They didn't need to create us. I mean, honestly, they had, it was perfect unity. God is, is the creator. He does not need anything. He doesn't have to want anything. He is perfect. He has it all. And yet, despite all those things, here we are X amount of years later. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. It says, it says, God just kind of, kind of brings it all together. It says, God had no, has no needs. Human love, as Plato teaches us, is a child of poverty, of want or lack. It is caused by real or supposed goal in his beloved, which the lover needs and desires. By God's love, but God's love, far from being caused by, by goodness in the, in the object, causes all of goodness which the object has, loving in first into existence, and then into real through derivative livability. God is godness. He can, he can give good, but cannot need it or get it. In that sense, his love is, as it were, bottomlessly selfless by, very, by the very definition. It has everything to give and nothing to receive. That is an example of God's incredible love for us. He, he created us, and he had no need to. He had no, there, was no, there was no reason to, and yet here we are. And what does Christ do hours later that adds another dimension to his vast love to us? If you look at this, he says it in verse 13. He says, greater love has none than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. In verse 15, he, see, he backs it up by coming down to us. He says in verse 15, I am no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. You see, unlike any other religion, you know, in every other religion, you have big God, little us. You have the, the, little, the little people, and, and we all kind of look at, at God and, 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 you know, and, and all other religions except for this one. You got big God, little people. But here in Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, right? He gave it all up to come to earth for us. He came to earth to, to go through what we go through. He came to earth to experience what we experience. You know, even in the Old Testament, you can, you can make the argument, well, God, you're saying, yeah, okay, you, you, you hate what I hurt. You, you, you don't, you know, you see my pain, but it's more metaphorical. You're up there and I'm down here. And yet Jesus banishes all that by coming down to earth and walking amongst us. And he gives that last command. He says, this is my command to love one another. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to go and to bear fruit? I mean, you were commissioned, right? Jesus says this, go, you're commissioned to go out and to bear fruit. You're commissioned to introduce people to, the, to, to me. You're, you are commissioned to, to be fruitful, to, to follow the, what it says in Galatians, to have love and all these different things in your life. And that is the challenge that God has given us. And so my application to you is this, is fruit is caused by love. Fruit is caused by loving others as God has loved us. My challenge to you is to let's start practicing this type of love. So we are getting prepared for heaven because in heaven, that's what it's going to be. We're going to be in the midst of God's glory. We're going to be, we're going to, we're going to have endless amounts of joy. We're going to be in constant love and constant union. And so we might as well start practicing now here on this earth. And when you're being pruned, 
And when you're going through things that are difficult, when you're going through times that are hard, just remember God is in it to trust in him. That when you're being pruned, that when you're going through these really difficult things, it's just God working in and through your life. It's God making you the man and the woman that he desires for you to be. So you can go out and bear more fruit. And my last challenge is to be intimate with God, to pray without ceasing, to consistently talk with him. Even if you have a view like my wife where you're like, Hey, I believe in God's sovereignty, but so what's prayer have to do with it? No prayer has to do with intimacy, seeking after him, being a constant communication. Maybe as a husband and a wife, pray together with your children, pray whoever you're with, wherever stage you're at, your grandchildren, whatever you're at, wherever you're at in college, high school, wherever you're at in your life. Because if you really want to know how to remain in him and to obey his commands, you have to constantly be talking to him. You have to have that intimate, deep relationship. And so thank you guys and gals for letting me come here. I'm going to pray. And there's tables at the corner for communion and a video is going to come on. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, God, that your love is so complex, Lord, that despite who we are, that despite our mistakes, Lord, that you consistently seek after us, Lord. And Lord, even though I don't necessarily love it or even like it, thank you, God, that you are pruning us consistently, that you are getting rid of the branches that don't need to be on us, Lord, and that you are turning us into the men and women that you desire for us to be. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would be in an intimate relationship with you, that we would be consistently praying, Lord, that we would have just times that that we don't even realize it, but we're just in constant communication with you, Lord, that we would abide in you, that we would remain in you, Lord. And God, give us the supernatural power to love as you have shown for us, Lord, to, to love selflessly to love expecting nothing in return, which is, which we will fall short of Lord, but give us the power to do so consistently. Help us to do that in our relationships and our marriages in our relationship with our kids at our workplace. Lord, we love you and we thank you God. And it's your son's precious and holy name. We pray. Amen.